So welcome everyone to Sunday service at the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. Welcome to everyone here in person and those online. It's so nice to hear all these powerful, strong responses finally. We've been just having to whisper behind our masks for so long. This is really a treat. <laughs> um, and with me today is Nayaswami Gyandev and I'm Nayaswami Indradevi. And today's reading is from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. <clears throat> Dogmatism versus common sense. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter seven, Jesus warns, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus here, as indeed many times during his teachings, counsels people to use their God-given common sense and not to rely on high-flown but undemonstrable claims. Common sense goes beyond abstract reason, for it is rooted in actual experience. Even common sense, however, is deficient when the judgment calls for, called for goes beyond sensory experience. Ultimately, what he explained always, therefore, was intuitive perception. Excuse me, ultimately, what he emphasized always, therefore, was intuitive perception. Thus, he expected more of his disciples than crude common sense, and often scolded them for being too literal-minded, as he did elsewhere, when they thought his statement, I have meat to eat that you know not of, meant that he had steaks or sandwiches secreted about his person. His reference, of course, was to, was to spiritual, not material, substance. Words, even though appearing in the scriptures, are no substitute for direct perception of the truth. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the sage who knows God has little need for the scriptures as one might have for a pond when the whole land is covered in flood. Thus, through holy scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, This is a very special weekend as we're celebrating the Mahasamadhi, the final conscious exit from the body of Paramahansa Yogananda 70 years ago to tomorrow. And we'll have the celebration uh, tonight at 7 o'clock, also a meditation tomorrow morning. Please do join in. And it's such a wonderful coordination with the topic of the weekend retreat at the Expanding Light, the Promise of immortality. That's certainly 
uh, something that I would like to underscore here that we're reading from Whispers from Eternity, which is poems and prayer demands from Paramahansa Yogananda. This one, very relevant to the Mahasamadhi weekend, God's Boatman. I want to ply my boat many times across the gulf after death and return to Earth's shores from my home in space. I want to load my boat with all those waiting, thirsty ones who have been left behind, that I may carry them to the opalescent pool of iridescent joy. There where my father distributes his all-desire-quenching liquid peace. Oh, I will come back again and again, crossing a million crags of suffering. With bleeding feet I will come, if need be a trillion times, as long as I know that one stray brother is left behind. I want thee, O oh God, that I may give thee to all. I want salvation, that I may give it to all. Free me then, O Lord, from the bondage of this body, that I may show others how they too can free themselves. I want thine everlasting happiness, but I want also to share it with others, that all my brothers may find the way to happiness forever and forever in thee. It's such a stirring poem. I mean, who would want to come back even once to mention a trillion times and to a very difficult job? And it came with these avatars come with big, big things to do. Some of them come with world missions like Master, like Jesus, like Krishna, like Buddha. And they work so hard. They go through so much for, our, for what? For our sake. It's, it's so deeply touching. How could we not respond to a love and compassion like that and really do our best? And the question really becomes, how do, how do we do our best? We, we, we live in a time like this where, there, where the topic of the reading today is so appropriate, the, the dogmatism versus common sense. We can live in a time of a whole lot of dogmatism, not just religious dogmatism, political dogmatism, any kind of dogmatism that we could have, we have. And this is the, the kind of environment that Paramahansa Yogananda came into, an environment of, of racial dogmatism as well. And he experienced a lot of that dur during his life. And yet, before he would have known that he was going to experience that, the masters know what they're getting into, and yet they come. It's so... It's, it's so beautiful that this could happen. And so fortunate for all of us that it could happen. How would we ever get to that place of freedom? You know, I, the first time that I ever really 
experienced some real religious dogmatism. It wasn't uh, directed at me personally, but it was a very, it was a very touching moment. Nevertheless, it was in 1985 on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And uh, there were about 50 of us from Ananda, including Swami Kriyananda. And we were in the city of Nazareth, which was an Arab city, but very, uh, a lot of Christian um, sentiment there, even among, among the Arabs as well. And we had just finished experiencing the Church of the Annunciation, church built uh, supposedly on the site where the angel told Mary that she would have uh, the baby Jesus. And we'd finished, we'd come out onto the streets, and the streets of Nazareth are very narrow, very crowded, very high traffic, and the, the bus could not just wait for us out there. So we were all waiting on the side of the street, waiting for the bus to come by and pick us up. And as we were waiting there, I was standing very close to where Swami Kriyananda was standing. And uh, this young Arab man came up to Swami and is right in his face. Do you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins? And I just thought, oh, thank God it was Swami and not me. <laughs> I was being put in this situation. But I was also like, what is he going to say? And what he said was, was so beautiful. He just looked at the man and he said, how could God die? And the man sort of wavered on his feet a little bit. From, it was nothing that he was expecting. He was expecting either an affirmation or a little conflict about that point. And instead, it just opened up his mind to a degree that he really couldn't process. And he just sort of walked away with this, <laughs> with this expression in his eyes. And I thought afterwards, it was so, so beautiful how Swami dealt with that because he didn't want to hurt the young man's obviously newfound faith by saying no. And he didn't want to get in an argument uh, he didn't want to agree with it either, because that wasn't what he himself felt. And he said he gave the, instead he gave them a gift of greater understanding. What a beautiful way to be able to confront dogmatism, because we see it so much. I remember when I was growing up, um, I didn't experience any. Uh, strong dogmatism because they're just it was like there wasn't another show in town. That that was all that was going on there, and everybody in church, everyone would do the credo. I believe this. I believe that. I believe that. And and I sort of looked. And do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you, do you? I wasn't sure. I believed that, but I would repeat it. And I think everybody else was doing pretty much the same thing. It wasn't that they contested it. It was just like, who would know? And I remember uh, that was sort of my attitude for a long time was, who would know? How could I ever know the answers to these big questions? 
you know, people would talk about the big questions. You know, is there a God? Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? And I pretty much accepted that there was no way to know. Maybe I would find out after death, but who knew? And I, rem I remember still the first time that I read Autobiography of a Yogi, and really every time since, but it helped me especially so powerfully the first time I read it. And I just had this, well, let's say, intuition was not a common experience for me coming up to that time. I would, I would guess maybe I'd had one or two semi-intuitive experiences in my life that I could that really observed. But reading that book, I just knew this man knows. Or he knew it was after his passing that time. He knows, and he's telling me that I can know too. That was so big. It was so big for me. There are answers to these questions. And it wasn't from a dogmatic perspective. It's very difficult to read Autobiography of a Yogi and come back and come away from it saying, wow, what a dogmatist. Because it was so full of common sense. And being from a, a more of a scientific background myself, common sense, that really did it for me. Uh, because I, anything that if he could appeal to my common sense, if that was all he was asking me to respond to his common sense, I can go with that and, and see where it leads. But you know, there are so many, so many kinds of dogmatism. I discovered one kind uh, when I, I remember when I was in college, when I was in graduate school, and uh, my roommate, apartment mate was a theoretical physicist. And I remember coming home from my classes one day, and uh, usually he was all hunched over his desk, furiously working on problem sets. But this time he was leaning back on the two back legs of his chair with his feet up on the desk and his arms crossed, big smile on his face. I said, oh, this is interesting. I just, I just sort of stood there at the doorway expectantly. And he said, yep, we've pretty much got it all figured out. <laughs> we, we physicists. And he, and he said, six decimal places. No, there was the ability to predict physical phenomena to an accuracy of six decimal places. Uh, which was impressive, for sure, but what, <laughs> but what struck me was that I came from a different field. I was in math mathematics, applied mathematics, and what we did in our realm was create mathematical models of real phenomena. And from the get-go, there was always the understanding, these are just models, these aren't reality. We're just trying to kind of find out something about reality. But my roommate, I really got the impression he was saying, this is reality. 
we know. It's like, forget about the history of science where everything gets thrown overboard every, every generation or two, uh, that we, we really got this. And I didn't say anything. I just kind of went into my room and feeling very self-satisfied. Well, I'm not deceived in that way. Right? And then I stopped for a moment and I thought, I wonder what there is that I think I know that I really don't know. And it took me about a second and a half to realize everything I know, I think I know, I really don't know. I don't know anything. And I thought, no, no, I, I know one thing. I know I exist. I don't know how I exist. You know, maybe I'm a dream in somebody else's mind, but I know there's something to my existence. I just know that. And I realized later that there was a second thing that I know, and that was that the first thing was the only thing I know. <laughs> and it was very freeing for a while. Just, I don't have to defend anything. I don't have to defend. But after a while, the, there's the hunger for knowing something. The hunger for really having a, a better understanding of what life is, who I am. And it was when I came to, the, I started to come to the spiritual path that I thought, I think the answer's here surprised me totally because I thought there were no answers in, in the world of, of this imaginary God who might or might not exist. But I, I started to look. And, and as soon as, as you all have experienced in your life, as soon as you start to look a little bit, books come your way, people come your way, the autobiography came my way. And I remember I had a little, some little circle of friends came my way. Too, and began to, we began to do things together that were sort of, you know, new agey sort of stuff. It was good. It was good. Uh, and we went to one, probably the most popular speaker in the country at that time, who, and he loved to talk about all the uh, phenomena of the spiritual life and the visions and the and this, and it, it was, wow, it was enthralling. You'd just sit there listening to him with your eyes open and your jaw dropped. you think, that's what I want. It was like a circus. It was like a spiritual circus. And not long after that, uh, Swami Kriyananda came to, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area at that time, and he came to Ananda's bookstore. There and was going to give a talk, and I had I had seen his autobiography, The Path, already now called The New Path, and uh, it had the old cover on it, which was, you know, he's looking very much like a swami, okay, orange robe, long hair, beard, and I was like, no, <laughs> not doing that. I'd been through the hippie area era. I wasn't a hippie. I wasn't going there. Uh, but, so I wasn't going to read his book, 
but if it was going to come for a, a live talk, okay, yeah, I'll go with my friends because they wanted to go. And we went, and he walked out in a suit, short hair, neatly trimmed beard, and I was like, I'm good with this. <laughs> and he proceeded to talk in the way that he almost always talked, which was the sort of uh, chop wood, carry water kind of spirituality. Just what do you need to do on a day-to-day -day basis, a moment-to-moment -moment basis? And I was very intrigued, very intrigued by this. And the juxtaposition of this and the other talk that my friends and I had been to so recently and afterwards, we walked out of there, and we're walking back to our car, and one of my friends was, was very indignant. She said, flyleaf philosophy. I didn't say anything, but, some, but inside I said, you know, I think, I think that's what you need to do if you want to have the other. And I didn't really have a basis for saying that. It was just kind of a, I just understood that's what it's about. And I was so taken that he was talking about things that I could do, not things that were out of my reach, but things that I could do on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. I was going to give it a go. And that's what my friends didn't, but I did. And I realized that this sort of very practical, common sense approach was different from having those realizations, but that what Swami Kriyananda talked about, what Paramahansa Yogananda talked about is, these are the things you do that begin to clear away the obstacles, that begin to, to open you up to understanding. Because there's a dogmatism that is worse than a religious dogmatism, worse than a political dogmatism, worse than a scientific dogmatism. It's the dogmatism of ego, the dogmatism that everybody has in their own unique way, unless you are a self-realized master. The dogmatism that I'm the, I'm the body and the personality. That's who I am. That's the most difficult magnet, uh, dogmatism at all, of all to get past. But this is really the, the objective of the whole spiritual life is not to have the right religion, not to have the right science, the right politics, none of that. It's to, it's to know who we are. And so I was so, I've always been, still am, so thrilled that Master's approach was so utterly practical. As a way he put it about his own guru, about Sri Yukteswar, with his feet firmly on the ground, and yet his head in the haven of heaven. I say, without that common sense, without that practicality, 
we're not going to be open enough to receive what, what Swami talked about in the reading, the intuitive understanding of who we really are. And that your intuitive understanding is probably not going to be there on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. But common sense can be. I always love something that, that uh, about, uh, you know, we did St. Teresa's admonition and chanting earlier, and what she, her, her criterion for allowing young women to be nuns in her convent was only one criterion. They had to have common sense. She said everything else they can learn. They can learn devotion. But without common sense, you, you can't develop common sense. You either have it or you don't. Or perhaps you either use it or you don't. <laughs> you know, and, and the idea that, that practicing the application of our common sense can open us to a greater and greater intuitive understanding to where we finally get to the place where, in meditation, we can not just believe who we are, but perceive who we are. And this master said, the yogi must learn to turn his conceptions into perceptions. And this is what we're doing. We are not buying into our conceptions, because any conception has the potential to stand between us and a realization of truth. And this is something that, that I've seen over and over again in my own life. I know you've seen over and over again in your own life. When we can get out of the way of our own dogmatism, of our own dedication to body, personality, what we've done, what people think of us, our desire to be right. When we can get away from that, that's when we start to open up. And it's, and it's just common sense to get away from it. And it takes a long time sometimes for us to be willing to step away. But to just to notice, Swami Kriyananda would say, notice the heart's feelings. He said, because discrimination and common sense can be snatched away in a moment by sudden infatuation. By sudden infatuation. And to watch the heart's feelings, to, to keep them calm, and when they get upset about something, why would they be upset about something? I, I, somebody used the expression for myself, my cage is getting rattled. Okay, I'm, con like I'm confined in this cage, and something's shaking it. And to realize that is my signal that my dogmatism of ego is being threatened. And rather than bristling and defending 
if I can just relax and feel that a moment is coming, a moment is here, a moment to shift, a moment to learn. I always love one little piece of a movie I saw years ago. I don't remember anything else about the movie, uh, but it was taking place in Africa. And it might have been out of Africa, I'm not sure. But at one point, the, the woman's whole farm, estate, whatever it was, was catching fire. And her foreman came, as at night, and her foreman came to me, came to her to wake her up. Wake her up. She says, ma'am, God is coming. God is coming. And I try to remember that when my cage gets rattled. God is coming. The opportunity is coming. And if I can, rather than tightening up, don't let this cage rattle, okay? If I can instead be open, it's amazing how the cage can expand. And maybe even for a moment go away completely. But at least it expands. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful practice, and it's not pain-free. <laughs> it's not pain-free because it, it involves taking away something that we thought we were, that we thought we needed in order to be happy. But it's so freeing when we can do it, and not to worry whether we can always do it. We won't be able to always do it. There'll be times when we just dig in our heels, but when we take the common sense approach of, I've seen this before, been there, done that, I'm not going to let it take me off in the direction of protection, direction of defense. I'm going to relax to whatever degree I can because God is coming. God has come, and what an opportunity. May we all take that opportunity and find him. Await the day, Isis comes, await the day, Mother comes, await the day. Fill your mind if you want to pray, send all cares far away, sing then, love's ever near, Isis comes, await the Sing then, love's ebony, 
Isis comes, await the day. Isis comes, await the day. Mother comes, await the day.